This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss medical cannabis and its interaction with your prescription medications with pharmacist Andy Donald. We'll find out about experiential avoidance with mindfulness expert Tracy Sograti. We'll discover which supplements you should take if you're on a budget with naturopath Dr. Barb Wargerer. And lastly, we'll learn why we should stop glamorizing suffering with author Judy Wilkins-Smith. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. A new machine learning model uses electrocardiogram readings to diagnose and classify heart attacks faster and more accurately than current approaches, according to a study led by the University of Pittsburgh researchers that published recently in Nature Medicine. When a patient comes to the hospital with chest pain, the first question asked is whether the patient is having a heart attack or not. It seems like that should be straightforward, but when it's not clear from the ECG, it can take up to 24 hours to complete additional tests. The new model helps address this major challenge by improving risk assessment so that patients can get appropriate care without delay. Researchers from the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus have identified a potential new immune checkpoint receptor that could lead to treatments for diseases such as lung and bowel cancer and autoimmune conditions including IBD. The study, published recently in Science Immunology, examines a family of 13 receptors or proteins that transmit signals for cells to follow called killer cell immunoglobulin-like receptors. Of the 13 receptors, one is unique in that it has not been readily observed on immune cells in peripheral blood. Researchers identified that this mysterious receptor, called KIR3DL3, is found in the intestine and lungs, suggesting it could provide signals specifically required by immune cells that are resident in mucosal tissues. A study of more than 22,000 people with multiple sclerosis has for the first time identified a genetic variant associated with faster progression of the disease, an accumulation of disability that can rob patients of their mobility and independence over time. MS begins as an autoimmune disease where the immune system attacks the brain and spinal cord, resulting in symptom flares called relapses, as well as longer-term degeneration known as progression. Despite the development of effective treatments for the inflammatory autoimmune disease, no one can prevent increased disability during the neurodegenerative phase of the disease. The new study, which includes researchers from Yale and was published in Nature on June 28th, is the first to identify a genetic variant that increases disease severity an advance that the authors say offers a key step towards understanding and eventually fighting this progressive form of MS. I'll be joined by Andy Donald in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? 
Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy Program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Andy Donald is a certified geriatric pharmacist and president of the Health Depot Pharmacy. His passion to help patients and deliver personalized services led him to launch the Health Depot, Canada's only online clinical pharmacy. Andy is active in his profession, serving on several committees, including the Alzheimer's Society of Ontario's Ontario Dementia Care Alliance, and he is the prescribed pharmacy ambassador for Canada Health InfoWay. The Health Depot Pharmacy is an online clinical pharmacy providing free, no-obligation consultations. They'll meet with you to discuss your medications and answer your questions and deliver your prescriptions free anywhere in Ontario. For more information, you can visit thehealthdepot.ca. Welcome back to the show, Andy. How are you doing? Not too bad. Yourself? How are you doing, Jamie? Good. I, I just had a procedure, and you know, like when you go and have a procedure done, you have to fill out a form because, of course, you know, we don't have everything digitalized yet, so you keep having to, like, answer all kinds of questions about your health history. And, you know, they're also asking about, you know, your recreational alcohol and recreational drug use and or, you know, cannabis, medical cannabis, you have to start disclosing these things on the forms. And it it got me thinking about how all those, and in particular medical cannabis, how it interacts with medications and health issues that people have. So can we talk about that today? Yeah, that's a great topic. Very timely. A lot of people want to know a lot of information about this. It's perfect timing. Yes. So what conditions or symptoms can medical cannabis be used to treat? There's a lot now. It's really broadening. Ever since it's become legal, there's been a lot more research, right? It started off with a pain, you know, obviously used for chemotherapy, nausea and vomiting, helping out with that, and a few other conditions. But it's grown to be, helps, yeah, with chronic pain management, neurological pain, neurological disorders, such as spasticity that sometimes you get with conditions like MS, mental health, inflammatory conditions, sleep disorders. There's lots more, but particularly in the older adult population, it's shown to be pretty effective in the trifecta, uh, helping out with pain, sleep, and mood, which affect older adults a lot. It helps with the whole, all three of those. So it can have a significant improvement in health impacts to the point that they've done an older adult study showing that individuals, older adults who consume cannabis for medical purposes, 64% had an improvement in overall pain interference, 63% had an improvement in sleep, and 74%, and like, you know, three quarters, an improvement in quality of life, all while reducing the amount of opioids you have to use, while also having a drastic reduction in overall prescription drug costs. So it's exploding the potential that it could do to help out with health and targeting the cannabinoid receptors, cannabinoid receptor 1 and 2 in our body. It's uh, exploding with a lot of research right now, and it's, uh, it's very promising. Okay. For those who don't know, does medical cannabis differ from recreational cannabis? Because there's obviously recreational cannabis is a bit taboo. Yes, I mean, it's got the stigma, right? So it's all the same except different constituents. So when people go for recreation, obviously you you often think about people trying to get high and high THC products, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what gives us most of the nasty side effects that cannabis uh, has associated with it, where you get the psychoactive properties, the effects, impairment in memory, reaction time, all that. Whereas the two other compartments that are like, so a lot of the medical treated, you need very minimal to hardly any or no 
THC. Right. So THC can help with pain, and it can help with a few other things like seizures, pains, inflammation, but low amounts, and even sleep, but low amounts is all you need to the point that you wouldn't get high and have those side effects. It's mostly the CBD and the terpenes in cannabis that can really help us with uh, a lot of the other pain, insomnia, inflammation, and anxiety, and things like that, that really a lot of the attention is getting that have very minimal side effects. So that's the difference is that the medical is more focused on those cannabidiol, like CBDs, as well as the terpenes. Right. Okay. That being said, are there any potential side effects or risks associated with using medical cannabis, which I guess for the purpose of our discussion, we're really focusing on CBD? Yeah, most of the side effects you get from medical cannabis include like the ones that you see on any kind of medication, drowsiness, dizziness, dry mouth, and obviously increased appetite. That's why it helps for individuals also who get uh, cancer treatment or chemo. It can help increase your appetite. So those are the main ones from the CBD, but often, you know, the high THC strains, as we mentioned, if you're doing it more for recreational, that's where we kind of mentioned, you know, can actually cause anxiety, psychosis even, paranoia and things like that, and delayed uh, impairment to the memory. But, you know, if you're using it for medically, you can get dizziness, but it's a lot less than a lot of other medications. So it does have side effects, but most of the time, uh, without jumping ahead too much here, the side effects you can get from cannabis are usually associated to increase side effects of the other medications you're taking in your body. Okay, we'll circle back to that in a bit. I want to sort of go over the ABCs. So there are different ways that medical cannabis manifests, right? Like there's pills, there's sprays, you you can smoke it still, like there's oils. So can we talk a bit about those and, and how they are used? Yeah, absolutely. So As we're probably aware, smoking cannabis from the actual in a joint or rolled up and smoked and inhaling it instead of vaporizing, that can have obviously the the risk of all the other chemicals and the tar that can really be bad for your lungs. Whereas when you use it for medical purposes, often people go with oils or sublingual, right? Difference being oils, sometimes you have to take, just like edibles, you have to take a higher amount because... If it goes through your stomach, it has a first-pass effect that your liver shuts it down a little bit more, whereas sublingual, like inhaled, goes more directly into your bloodstream, so lower doses you would need. But oils and sublingual, much more standardized, consistent, and better for medical purposes, for sure. And the edible cannabis, in my experience, just takes longer to activate than if you're putting it into your lungs, too. But there's that aspect of it, right? Yes, absolutely. There's a delay in the absorption. But the opportunities with the oils and sublinguals, because they're more consistent, is an opportunity to standardize to the point where eventually if we want to have for coverage, because not a lot, that's the issue. It can be help with cost savings overall in the drug and healthcare ecosystem, right? Yeah. But the big reason why it's not covered is because there is not as much standardization out there. We're to the point where you can find specific strains or amounts of CBD and terpenes in order to get it approved to the point where it could have a drug identification number, a DIN. So then payer providers such as Ontario Drug Benefit Program or private payers like Green Shield would be able to then approve and cover it for patients more because ultimately for medical as well as recreational, it's, it's uh, primarily out of the pocket of the patient to use. So that's the next step is if we move more into standardizing the oil doses for certain conditions and even the sublingual tablets, then we could potentially get more coverage and have it covered by your your drug plan, which would be a huge benefit and change going forward. Agreed. So you touched upon this like a moment ago, and I'd like to explore it a bit now. 
cannabis can interact with other drugs that you might be taking, right? Absolutely. Unfortunately, CBD and, and THC interacts with, they're one of the most interaction um, chemicals out there in your body for, with medications. A lot of people, patients might re- remember that, you know, um, often if they have certain medications, about half of meds are processed in your liver by an enzyme called 3A4, right? It's just most half of your drugs are broken down by it in your liver. And that's why they tell you if you're taking one of those meds, you can't take grapefruit juice, right? Right. Because that can slow down your liver and make those drugs stick around a lot longer. And then you get, they can even cause increased side effects and even toxicity, right? Mm -hmm. But well, cannabis, CBD and THC both interact with that enzyme, 3A4, but also three of the other major enzymes, 2D6, 2C9, 2C19, which means most of your meds will increase in your body. And that's why I kind of prefaced just in one of the earlier questions, often the side effects we get when we're taking cannabis, if you're taking it consistently, especially for medical, it's side effects of your other drugs because they're sticking around longer. This means that if you're on cannabis and you're going to be taking a regular for medical purposes, especially for pain, what we need to do then is adjust your other medications. We have to lower those doses of your other drugs, sometimes switch them to safer alternatives, but your certain medications might stick around two to three times longer in your body now if you're taking uh, cannabis with it. So you have to have your meds adjusted so you won't have those side effects. And that's the big thing is right now that pharmacy has not been included in the discussion with medical cannabis. And that's why you might see that it's kind of gone to the background. It's more so all these recreational pot shops on the corner that are really driving the market right now because it doesn't have oversight on what the effects, health effects can have in your body. And it can severely inhibit your ability to process other meds and have an effect. This is why actually last year, uh, Jamie, in 2022, uh, Health Canada did a review on cannabinoids, right, and cannabidiol, and they recommended that a consultation with a pharmacist should always be encouraged if you're taking any other medications. And they said, therefore, health products containing CBD and THC should only be available in pharmacies. Now, the likelihood of that happening are pretty nil now because, you know, when Trudeau came into power, he legalized it for everybody. Right. So the stores on the corner aren't going anywhere, right? So the yeah. recreational is not going anywhere. But there's going to probably have to be education campaigns out there that if you're on other medications and you should not be going to those stores, you need to go to your pharmacy down the line and they need to help adjust your other medications to make sure it's safe. And any other medication you think that you take on on top of that, even antibiotics, need to be adjusted with the idea of what dose and how much cannabis you're taking. Yeah, I think a lot of people are self-medicating because the recreational is inexpensive too. I think that's another factor. So, yes. the, the, you know, they think, oh, you know, I've been smoking weed for years, so I'm just going to go. I know, I know my body. I'm just going to take X, Y, or Z, and I don't need the government telling me. Uh, And you're here to say, no, that's not quite right. So let's talk about how one obtains medical cannabis prescription or recommendations. So what are the steps? So right now, to get a medical cannabis prescription, you know, especially if you're on other medications, you should do this. There are doctor clinics that specialize in medical cannabis. That's like normally the, the number one site that you can look up and there's very reputable doctors who prescribe medical cannabis with that lens. Your family doctor can prescribe it as well, but what we're seeing is because we've talked about this other weeks that doctors, when they go to med school, they specialize in diagnosing and healthcare procedures. They learn very little about medications in med school, right? That's where pharmacists learn. But, you know, so doctors are very uncomfortable with prescribing medical cannabis right now because they don't know what it's going to do to your other medications. It scares them. 
right? right. Is, what is it going to do to your heart or your seizure medications now? Is it going to make your heart skip out? Like, it, it scares doctors. So often, you can think about it. Doctors know what, even though it's terrible to think of this, but opioids are so much worse for you with side effects, global side effects, and especially as you're an older adult, they're more comfortable going to an opioid because they know what it's going to do to your other medications a lot more than what cannabis would do, right? So doctors are a little more concerned with them. That's where what we'll see is in order for, as you just mentioned, it's more recreational right now out there, and it's totally unregulated, totally un... It's not standardized, right? You can, people can get anything from the, the cannabis uh, pot shops. What we need to do is standardize it for the medical purposes, have it at a set den, which will then allow, because it's cheaper in the, those corner stores, but what's even cheaper than the corner stores than getting it from a doctor and having it shipped from a licensed producer is having the drug plans pay for it. So once we have it in pharmacies, which it sounds like is going to be moving towards in the next year or two, for medical purposes, that we then, it can be covered, and then the patient's, it's covered by your drug plan. So then people will want to go to the pharmacy and make sure it's safe with your other medications. That's what needs to happen. And then doctors, if that's done, will be much more confident and comfortable with prescribing medical cannabis, CBD and terpenes, for your health if they know that the other medications are being adjusted properly and safely to make sure it's not mucking up all the rest of your medications and your other conditions. Okay, are there any specific precautions or guidelines that one should follow if using medical cannabis? Yeah, well, there is guidelines. So Health Canada and researchers across the country and the Ontario Cannabis Store have Cannabis Made Clear education campaigns going forward. And they often mention it's important to talk to your pharmacist. So there's, there's a few resources, Cannabis Made Clear, very good for guidelines on what to follow. But really when it comes down to it as a guideline that I think they're going to be making, Health Canada eventually is going to, when they get, uh, just like Europe is all available through pharmacies, yep. they're going to start doing campaigns like on cigarette packs, like warning can cause lung cancer, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, with cannabis going forward, there's probably going to be labels saying, if you take other medications, you must speak to your pharmacist, right? That's what I think, uh, as a guideline, is a very good first thing to do, is to speak with your pharmacy, and particularly a clinical pharmacy, about what you might need to do to change with your medications if you're going to go on a regular doses of medical cannabis. Like, as I said, it can help with pain, sleep, and mental health. We then what ultimately means is you might need to be on less medications and less doses because we have to bring those doses down for you to safely be on medical cannabis. So that's a, a general rule. There are guidelines out there, like I, I said, like Cannabis Made Clear by the Ontario Cannabis Store is a very good one. But then really, ultimately, it's going to be speaking to your pharmacist. That seems to be the key takeaway point, and that is speak to your pharmacist. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure. Thanks again, Jamie. That was Andy Donald. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss experiential avoidance on The Tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. 
Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Tracy Segretti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. You can find her at www.sagratiyoga.com, Sagrati Yoga on Facebook, or at Tracy Sagrati on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you? Woo, woo. I am good. How are you doing, Jamie? I'm doing really well. So yeah. you wrote an interesting article for the July-August issue of the magazine, which is now yeah. out, Thank on uh, experiential avoidance. Can you That's tell right. us what that means? Experiential avoidance is actually one of my favorite things to work on with clients, and it's really the urge to avoid sort of any unwanted internal thoughts, body sensations, or um, most importantly, emotions. And, And I would characterize that as like emotional internal experiences. And, you know, it's tricky because this is sort of a natural protective mechanism, but what ends up happening is when it becomes like the go-to thing, then big problems come up. Okay. So is it necessarily negative to to, uh, to avoid experiences? I can think of circumstances where it might make sense. I'm sure you can. I'm sure I can. I'm I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay. So certainly there are times when it it could be either neutral, right? Like, you know, it's fine. It's nothing. Or it could be, you know, positive. It actually makes sense. And, you know, one example I give to clients is, say you're at the beach, it's super hot, you know, like the summer is very hot, and you might try to avoid the sensation of overheating or dizziness by going into the shade or drinking water or swimming. And likewise, like, well, the other thing that comes up with clients is people. So if you have someone in your life, family or not, who tends to be highly critical or complain a lot, you might find that being around them feels tiring and draining. And so in that case, it actually makes sense to avoid being around that person or to set up boundaries or parameters around how much you can tolerate that behavior without it affecting you. And so in that way, I would call that sort of adaptive avoidance versus maladaptive avoidance. All right. So what is maladaptive avoidance? Maladaptive avoidance, my friend, is, you know, it's the, it's the big ones. It's, you know, using substances. So like we're talking drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. Or even things like gambling or shopping, um, sometimes sex or even social media to kind of cope with unwanted emotions. And, and that can look like, you know, having a feeling and wanting to make it go away by replacing it with something that kind of gives you a hit of dopamine or makes you feel good. Doesn't everybody do that, though? We all do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it's so great to work on this in therapy, because it is our go-to mechanism. It is our go-to mechanism. And in the short term, it actually, I mean, the reason it becomes problematic is because in the short term, guess what? It works. We do feel better of in course, the short term. Of course it does. I mean, I, I was right? thinking, like, all those things you're listening, I was going, check, you're like, check, 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 check. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, even there was a study about alcohol that showed that, like, the first drink has the most benefit in terms of that avoidance that we're looking for. Like, it gives us, you know, that feeling of feeling good, feeling more socially competent, etc. It's all the ones that come after that that cause the problem. But, oh. um, but yes, they work in the short term. You know, some other examples are, like, avoiding social events if we're feeling socially anxious or, you know, another thing that's it's harder to discern is the pattern of 
you know, having very highly judgmental thoughts about other people. And what that's about is actually it allows you to avoid vulnerable connections. So, like, if you're judging and criticizing someone, then, you know, you don't have to reach out. You don't have to try to understand their perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can also look like trying to avoid even thinking about uncomfortable things or even putting off tasks that are important. Right. So procrastination, which you and I have a long history of chatting about. (laughs) And or, or, you know, even, you know, not sharing parts of yourself because you're afraid of rejection, which is really common. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I actually like thoughts. Well, the thing is, I've used this tool both, I suppose, adaptively and maladaptively. Yeah. I mean, there yeah. were pe- like I reached a certain point where people, certain people were aggravating me so much. I said, enough. Okay, we're done. I just don't enjoy interacting with you anymore. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, like I will partake of certain things and do certain things. Yeah. Uh, and we've discussed how I procrastinate. Like I'm a real, yeah. I, I have yeah. my black belt in procrastination. So <laughs> it's, it's, so all those things. So. Yeah. Okay. Let, let's talk about why it's so bad. Like, what are we really doing, and, and why is it so harmful for us? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer that, but I need to just speak to what you said because it's important. And what you just said there really speaks to discernment and the fact that, you know, the line between setting boundaries and limits and using experiential avoidance because you can't tolerate what's happening in the present moment is dynamic. And this is why it's tricky because it's kind of, it's always shifting and changing depending on, you know, what's happening inside of us, what's happening outside of us, and what our tolerance level is, but also what the long-term consequences are. So I just want to say that. I want people to hear that, you know, this is something that's dynamic and depends on us looking at, okay, what are the short-term consequences and what are the long-term consequences? And this is where where we go back to your question, why is it bad? And it's really bad, you know, maladaptive avoidance is bad when the long-term consequences cause harm, right? So when experiential avoidance becomes so much the norm that we can't handle the present moment. And when we can't handle the present moment, like when we're telling ourselves, like, I can't handle this, this is too much, when that's the internal thought pattern, then we start to believe that we can't handle things. And then our scope of experience, it gets narrower and narrower and narrower. And that's when you see, I mean, this is obviously extreme, but when you see someone who, for example, can't leave the house. Right. Right. It's because they literally, that scope has become narrow, 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 and they feel that they can't handle it. And so they believe it and then they can no longer leave. And that's when it becomes problematic. And same with the emotions. If we tell ourselves, like, I can't handle being angry versus letting anger move through us. Like, those are two very different experiences. If we tell ourselves we can't handle it, then then a feeling becomes dangerous. Does that make sense? I suppose. I I, I mean... (laughs) Like, He's not on board. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean th- those are obvious examples, right? But like I can think of, for example, procrastination, right? Yes. So uh, dealing for me, it's like, it's always about paperwork. I'm yes, like, no, I know. which is hilarious because I was a lawyer for 20 years, right? But I know. But, but, I, but, I, but I despise doing paperwork or taxes or dealing with those mm-hmm. types of things, right? So mm-hmm. it's not that I don't do them. I just put them off. And then, of mm-hmm. course... I always manage to do it. They're never that hard, right? It's just, and so, you know, maybe, or I'm thinking the the thoughts are like overwhelming me. So I'll decide, you know what, I'm going to do X tonight and just like turn off my brain for a couple of hours. And Mm -hmm. and to my mind, I think if you do that once in a while, it's not a bad thing. But if that's your go-to consistently all the time, then I think, then I think you've got a problem 
because you're not really dealing with your issues, you're just, you know, you're, you're propping yourself up. Exactly. I, you've nailed it. You've nailed it. It is a normal thing that we all, if we're all human beings listening, this is something that we're going to do. We're going to want to shut down and avoid, especially if things are really intense. But you're right. If it becomes your go-to, like, for example, with the paperwork, if you just never did it, things would fall apart. Right. And you're you're such a, you know, I think you're such a mover and a shaker. Like, you get, you, you know, you, you envision things and then they happen. So if you didn't push through that urge to avoid the admin stuff, none of that would happen. And so this is what I mean about the long-term versus short-term. Yeah. All right. So mm-hmm. how do we stop being maladaptively avoidant? Like, because at, yeah. some, at some point... You may find yourself just, it becomes your, your pattern and you got to break that pattern. So what do you yeah. do? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say to people is just track your behavior. Some people are into this. Some people are annoyed by it. But, you know, notice, uh, can I tolerate my feelings or am I always trying to drink away my feelings? Right. So track the behavior. And then once you've noticed a particular behavior, like, you know, you're drinking or you're gambling or you're shopping or, you know, your avoidance of paperwork, start to look at, okay, what are the short term consequences? So what is the price I'm paying for this? And then what are the long term consequences? Consequences, and look at the discrepancy between the two, and then decide. You know what? What kind of life are you building for yourself, and are you willing to eat those long-term consequences? Some people are, and others will look at that and go, "Okay, no. Like if I keep doing this, I'm going to be creating a life that is going in the opposite direction of everything that I want." And that will then aid motivation. It will help you break through that urge to avoid. And then the next step from there is to tolerate feeling things as they come up. And that just means notice and name. Notice and name and let it move through you. Oh, I'm really angry. I'm really angry about this. Okay. And then move on. Right? But just notice, name, acknowledge that piece. I've been trying to replace some of my maladaptive behaviors with with, with 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 other types of behaviors. No, so for example, so instead instead of uh, mindlessly looking through social media, which yeah. like is like a love hate uh, relationship, yeah. okay. I will say, oh, okay, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to work out. And mm. when I and when I work out, I'm turning off my brain. It's it's all about the thoughts that run in my head, you right? It. You know me, you right? It. So yeah. So if I can turn those off for 45 minutes, also the endorphins that come out after working out, I actually kind of smooths out my moods and then maybe yeah. I'm in a better position to deal with what I didn't want to deal with or maybe an epiphany will come to me or a creative thought. Um, yeah. So I'm trying. I can't say I do that all the time. Okay, wait. The goal is not perfection and what you just said there is so profound because you are creating a positive cycle through the exercise as you mentioned, like your mind quiets, the endorphins, you know, it's like endogenous morphine, right? You feel yeah. good, you feel high. And that creates a positive cycle versus dropping into the negative cycle, which, you know, the social media becomes a precursor for the negative cycle. So you, you've got it. You're doing it. And the goal is not perfection. We won't get it right every time. That's not the point. The point is just, to, you know, if we don't get it right, then we step into the next moment and try again. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Such a pleasure, Jamie. Always. That was Tracy Sograti. We have to take a short break. But when we return, we'll discuss supplements on a budget on The Tonic. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. 
You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Do you use vitamins, supplements, or other natural health products like natural toothpaste and deodorant as part of your daily health and wellness routine? If yes, what I'm about to tell you needs your immediate attention. Health Canada is proposing new regulations that will have a devastating impact on the natural health product industry. If the changes Health Canada is proposing goes through, many of the brands you use will see dramatic price increases or stop existing in Canada altogether. Stop Health Canada from taking away our natural health products and help to keep these products on shelves by writing a letter to your MP through saveoursupplements.ca. It takes less than a minute. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Dr. Barb Wargerer is a licensed naturopathic doctor practicing in Toronto, Ontario. Her clinical focus is in women's health, stress management, and inflammatory conditions. Dr. Barb spends a great deal of time educating individuals on the importance of magnesium and why we all need to add this mineral to our health toolbox. You can find her on Instagram at Dr. Barb Wargerer, where she shares a wealth of information about magnesium and other topics. Welcome back to the show, Barb. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you for having me back again. So I don't know about you, but I feel like everybody has their hands in my pocket and Mm -hmm. I'm paying more for everything, like literally everything. And I think for the average Canadian, what that means is they have to start making decisions about what it is they want to spend their money on. And for many listeners of this show, supplements are a large part of what they purchase. So I thought it might be helpful If we kind of went over, is there a way to do supplements on a budget? And if so, where should the priorities lie? Does that make sense to you? Yes, absolutely. Obviously, it's a big part of my practice, and I use supplements for various purposes, and they are a big addition to, you know, anybody's treatment plan and even for just the consumer out there who wants to stay healthy. Okay, so let's start with your definition of what a supplement is. Yeah, so supplements are pretty much products that are going to contain some form of nutrient or substance that's intended to supplement a said health issue, a nutrient deficiency. They're meant to support us for a specific purpose. And a supplement can be available in a form of a pill. It can be a tablet, a powder, or a liquid. Anything that's really put together with a combination of any vitamin, mineral, nutrient sort of thing is considered a supplement. And what are the purposes of taking a supplement in your experience? So because the supplements provide these vitamins, minerals, herbs, and other beneficial compounds, there's usually four purposes for supplementation. So one would be filling a nutritional gap. So they could be an essential nutrient that might be uh, lacking or a vitamin. Uh, Another one would be just supporting general health. If we just want to do overall health and well-being and promote that, then there's a, a range of supplements that we can do there. Of course, if there's a specific health concern, there's going to be certain supplements that are going to target that specific health condition. For example, if you had joint pain, you would do joint pain supplements or immune system dysfunction, we would do immune supplements. 
And then finally, there's the enhancing performance supplements. So these are used a lot by athletes and fitness individuals to support athletic performance, increase energy and support recovery and improve endurance. So those are really the four purposes of why we use a supplement. Okay, so here's the figurative $64,000 question. What are the supplements that you should take if you're on a budget? Like, which are the ones that are necessities, in your view? So, I think I would probably separate them a little bit. So, if you're on a really tight budget and funds are, you know, you have a, a variable budget that you can't really get outside of, I would look at doing a multivitamin. And multivitamins, they offer, you know, vitamins minerals, nutrients. A lot of these multivitamins are very well put together and they can ensure that you get an adequate amount of said vitamin, mineral, whatever it is. They support bodily function. They help with the immune system. There are antioxidants in there. They can help with bone health. They can help with inflammation and all sorts of things. And actually, a couple of months ago, the largest trial came out using a multivitamin and they found that multivitamins decrease death, decrease comorbidities, and reduce cognitive decline. So definitely if you're on a tight budget, this is where I would probably head to. Most multivitamins are somewhere between $20 and $30 a bottle. Okay. Now, if you could afford some singular supplements, then I would definitely recommend vitamin D because, of course, it's associated with so many benefits, immune support, bone health. It reduces the risk of certain cancers. There's so much research now coming out on cardiovascular health with vitamin D. And vitamin D is quite inexpensive. You can usually get a bottle for $20. It'll get you 100 to 120 capsules. I would also be looking at a B12. And the reason I would incorporate a B12 is because it's got such an important role in the production of red blood cells. It's got neurological health and function. It's got energy metabolism. It's also used in uh, cardiovascular health, especially if you have elevated levels of homocysteine. And of course, it promotes vitality. Again, a bottle of B12 will probably cost you about 10 to $15 for 90 to 100 tablets. Usually they're dissolved under the tongue. And then we would definitely add in a magnesium because we know that it's involved in everything, seven to 800 different enzymatic reactions. It does protein synthesis. It does blood pressure regulation, blood sugar control, sleep, stress. It activates the vitamin D that you're going to be taking. And so it's just a supplement that is involved in so many various aspects of your health, and it's rather inexpensive as well. You can get a bottle for around $20. It'll be about 90 to 100 capsules. And then the final one I would look at is a digestive enzyme, and then that's just because a lot of people have a reduction of brush border enzymes due to chronic low-grade inflammation. And so when we have a digestive enzyme, it helps to break down the food molecules. It allows for us to extract the vitamins and minerals from our foods that we eat. And it, of course, reduces digestive discomfort, which I see almost every day. Gas, bloating are probably the number one, and it helps just to alleviate that and obviously aids in the digestion process. So again, a digestive enzyme is usually around a $20 investment 
much in a bottle and you would really only have to use it at your problematic meal. So it's not something we're using consistently every single day. Okay, so those are the top ones if you're on a budget. Would you recommend going to like a cheaper version, like a generic or something that yeah. isn't, isn't like, do you see utility in that or not? Is it what you'd be paying for what you get in terms of the quality? Um, I think you just have to read the label. So definitely there are generic brands out there. And when I say read the label, read the non-medicinal ingredients. So a lot of the times the non-medicinal ingredients will tell you if you're really getting a good product. If you start to see color and you start to see, you know, aluminum and these kinds of things in your non-medicinal ingredients, and there are plenty of generic brands that have that, then obviously that is not something that we want to be going towards. But most generic brands now, you can get a lot of these supplements that I just mentioned in a generic form. And the $20 roughly for each bottle is actually not even the generic pricing. So you could actually save a few more dollars if you went generic-wise. I would just recommend reading the non-medicinal ingredients. Okay, I have to ask, and Uh maybe maybe you know the answer, maybe you don't. Why are they putting aluminum in supplements? Like, what's the purpose? I have no idea. I have no idea, but I see this, and it just infuriates me. And color. I often see red color in these products, and I'm not sure why it's there. I'm not sure why it's, like, promoted that way. But, you know, a very, very popular multivitamin brand has both those ingredients in it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is it meaningful to say, is there one supplement to take if you really can't afford to purchase supplements? Is that meaningful or is it a case-by-case sort of situation depending on who you are and, and where your station is in life? It is always kind of dependent on a case-by-case person scenario. But if you were really honest, if you couldn't afford any supplement, but you wanted to take one, I would do vitamin D. Yeah. It's just... The one supplement that's an all-around kind of supplement, it's well-researched. We know that it's critically needed in so many different health conditions and even just to maintain optimal wellness. So, I mean, it's still a fairly inexpensive supplement, but it can offer a real punch if you really were strapped for funds and needed to take one particular thing. Okay, I've got a, a small piece of advice. I want to support the Ma and Pa vitamin stores and the dedicated vitamin stores. But to be fair, if you go to the big boxes, they sometimes have vitamins in bulk, name brands, just in sizes that you might not see in other places. And there are some discounts there. And, you know, I I presume the formulations are the same. I actually haven't undertaken that. But I can tell you, like, if you're going to take something every single day, like a vitamin D or a calcium or a magnesium or something along those lines, you might find that you could shave a few dollars off by buying them in bulk because, you know, you're going to blow through that whole bottle at some point. Right. Absolutely. And it's definitely, if that is, you know, what you need to do, I would definitely do that because you can save money. And it's, like I said, as long as the non-medicinal ingredients are clear of kind of like the more toxic stuff, then absolutely, it's, it's a great way to save some money and, and get the supplement that you need to be taking. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you and glad to be back. That was Barb Orgerer. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss why we should stop glamorizing suffering on The Tonic. 
The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Judy Wilkins-Smith is a world-renowned family patterns, systemic work, and constellation expert. She's an author and motivational speaker who offers guidance to disentangling the financial patterns that aren't working and transforming your money DNA. Welcome to the show, Judy. How are you? Thank you, Jamie. It's lovely to be with you. I'm great. How about you? Doing well today. We're talking about a subject which I think is very interesting, a little bit different than maybe the money DNA that's in your bio. We're going to talk about the glamorization of suffering or sort of the cult of victimhood, as I like to put it, which I think is pervasive and really not good for us. I I think you're on board with those thoughts. Am I right about that? Totally on board with those thoughts. Couldn't agree more. It keeps us in a very bad space. So why do so many seem to find validation in in their trauma or suffering? Like, what is that about? You know, I've watched a lot and what I've realized is that it's all about belonging. It's like the me too. I'm also suffering. Hey, I've got a place to join you. So it's very much about belonging in a group. The problem with that is we often don't grow. Okay, so I see this a lot on social media where it's become easier and easier to find your own little echo chamber, which will just reverberate and tell you exactly what you want to hear based on what you're putting out there. And I'm not sure it's healthy for us. That's my little soapbox rant. I don't know how you feel about that. It's not healthy for us at all because, as I said, you keep yourself very tightly limited. And what you're doing is you're indulging the not growing side of yourself. And quite often you're indulging patterns that are multi-generational and that you're not breaking. You're actually perpetuating and expanding. So instead of really growing yourself in the world, here you get stuck. It's not good for us at all. It's a big sleep. You're not a regular on the show, but my listeners know I'm, I, I tend to be very cynical and a glass half empty guy. That being said, do you think that we as a species are genetically predisposed to negativity? You know what? I don't. I think we've been taught to think that we're predisposed to it. We've simply not been taught the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin being when you're responsible and you get on with things, you can achieve great things or you can grow much bigger. But we haven't been taught that. If you look at the major religions and you look around, you were always taught that you were born in sin, you're going to die in sin, try and do it gracefully and maybe you'll get a seat L34 at the left, at the top when you go. (laughs) That's what we've been taught It's really not the truth. Is it worse now because of social media? Am I right? Or have these negative thoughts always existed? I mean, you're tying it a bit to religion here, which has existed, obviously, you know, for a very long time. Has there been a a recent change? I think there's been a bit of a change, as you say, because of social media. What we've looked at is how we can use it to stay stuck instead of how we can use it to elevate. Because, of course, staying stuck seems easier. It's not really But again, we're used to being told you're not good enough. Stay humble. Think of all of the sayings and things that are out there, whether it's cultural, 
yeah, religion is one, but there's cultural, there's ethnicity, there's gender. There are all of these things that we're told that don't help us grow. Whereas if we start reversing the language and the, the thoughts and feelings, we're going to find that we're a very, very capable species. So you threw out a phrase before, generational negativity. Do you think we pick up these thoughts from our parents? Are we socialized to be negative? Oh, we absolutely. There are two ways we do that. We pick up these thoughts, feelings, and actions from our parents and then think that this is the way it is, so that becomes the truth, only it's not the truth, it's just your truth, and you can change it any time you want to. And then there are big things, like when there are big events, if there's a, a big event that impacts a group, that impacts the thoughts, feelings, and actions, and it creates an epigenetic imprint. And that epigenetic imprint then becomes the way we do things. And there are studies about that in 9-11, that prove that the PTSD markers are now elevated for certain demographics. So, yeah. Have there been any studies on, on sort of the COVID lockdown and how that impacted people? Because I would imagine I see very bad behavior post-COVID. I mean, people do not know how to socialize properly and, and they're acting out in Toronto. There's been, you know, a lot more violence than there used to be. I'm wondering if that's the type of event that sort of created a sea change of negativity. It can absolutely do that. You're exactly right. And, and I don't know about the studies, but I'm sure there will be. But here's the other thing. I've noticed that it's, it's split it into two demographics. One is, oh, well, now we have a good reason and excuse to behave badly. And the others have been, if you watch people, they will say, you know what? Pandemic was the best thing that ever happened to me. During that time, I wrote a book, started a business. So it's all about choice as well. And about being choiceful. Don't think that you just suddenly got into there. You made a choice. I used to be a lawyer, but I've been in the health and wellness industry since 2007. And I'm still of two minds about it. We're trying to help people through the show and through the magazine that I have to learn about health and wellness and in sort of impart information that I think is important for people to understand so they, they get better. But it can sort of digress into a cult of victimhood where people kind of revel in like, I don't like big pharma. I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, everything is impacting me. Woe is me. And they kind of people kind of go to shows and they wander around sort of glomming and complaining, which isn't my mindset at all. And I struggle with that. And I don't know whether it's a microcosm of, of the bigger society or whether it's endemic to people who deal or who become enthralled with health and wellness. What's your experience with that? I think it is the health and wellness is certainly going to showcase it for you. But don't forget what we've done is with all of the victimhood and the what's wrong with you and let's see what we can cure or fix. What we told people then is, what's wrong with you? We're not saying what's right with you and what can we, we expand. And again, I think it comes down to choiceful language. We're not very choiceful about that at the moment. So people go, oh, the game is victimhood. Let's all play. We're not offering them an alternative. <laughs> you know, We're not saying, hey, the game is mastery. Let's go. It's, uh, it's this yucky victimhood stuff. Okay, so, so how do we get around that? Like if you were speaking to me at a cocktail party and you're speaking to me as an individual and you found me to be one of those people reveling in negativity, what would you tell me to do in order to get around it? Okay, so here's what I would say to you. You know what, Jamie? I hear that you've been able to do very well at this particular level and you understand the whole struggling piece very well indeed. I wonder 
what you could do with that in a way that would allow others to also walk out of the victimhood. Because as I watch you, you're talking about that, but what's your next step? You've mastered this one. What's the next step? You're obviously very good at this, so I'm assuming that you would be great at something like now co-creating or doing something bigger. So what's your gift going to be? Because I can see it wants to come. Okay, so is this simply a reframing or, or sort of a dose of positivity? Or is it more subtle than that? Are you just trying to focus on what is positive? Because for some people, there's not much positive going on in their lives. So, for example, 9-11 or, or COVID may have really, really, really you know, messed them up. I think where, where I go with that is if somebody says to me, you know, COVID really hit me badly. I'm in a terrible position. I'm stuck is I will say to them, I want you to sit down and I want you to write down all the places that you're stuck. I want you to write your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions around that. And then I want you to write down where you wish it could be. And then we're going to look at what one thought, one feeling, and one action can you take that's going to shift to just a millimeter. Because even that is going to start rewiring your brain. Your brain's been hit hard enough that you're now a victim. Let's see how we get you back to or into starting to master your own life because there is always choice. And I've, Jamie, I've watched people who are terribly ill. And you know what their goal is? I want to have a day where I feel good. It's a great goal. Now you're pulling yourself out of that. So it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. What is the one thing that I can do that lets me know that there is hope and there is a door that I can open? And that's, that's where I would go. Okay, we have time for one last area to explore. Do you think people are soft now? Is the culmination of all this reveling in negativity that, that we just don't have emotional resilience and that's something we need to work on? And if so, how do we do that? Do I think they're soft? I think they're a little depleted. And okay. so what I would say is to work on that, it's, it's starting to add every single day. It's asking yourself, what did I do well today? What did I notice that happened today? If you sit down and count the little things, they add up. And it's start, instead of trash talking yourself, it's time to transformation talk yourself. Okay, if people are interested in learning a bit more about your thoughts, what's the best way to find out? Where should they go? They should go to judywilkins-smith.com or they can get hold of my new book that's out. And that's certainly going to help them to shift and reframe. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andy Donald, Tracy Sograti, Dr. Barb Wargerer, and Judy Wilkins-Smith. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The July-August issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. 
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.